Heavenly Father, your grandeur is more than we can comprehend. Uh, Your beauty, your power, your majesty. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us in the things that have been made. And then even more so by the sending of your son that you might draw us into life with yourself. And so, Father, thank you for the constant invitations to behold you, to enjoy you, to experience you. And, Father, as we look in your word today, would you speak to us even louder that we might experience that life in you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I get to see that again. Second service. I'm excited. Man, I hope you're glad you came to worship here today. Hey, before we jump into the sermon for today, I want to give you a quick update on our giving emphasis for September. We are finishing up Give United. This is actually our last Sunday uh, in this. We'll head back to our normal giving next week. And if you're new here, uh, here's what that means. We're doing something special through the month of September where once we meet our uh, normal budgeted requirement uh, for this month in our giving, everything that we take in over top of that, we are going to be showering out on a bunch of local uh, ministries and organizations, and they have actually applied for funds. They've been doing this for years now, uh, and we've been spotlighting a few of those each week. This week, in our final week, uh, we're spotlighting the Foundry. Uh, The Foundry's been one of our partners for years now. They've actually been in operation under different names for over 50 years in the Birmingham area, Uh, and they primarily do two things. They are helping those who are uh, poor and destitute kind of find a way of getting back on their feet and getting them resources, Uh, but they also do do a ton of work with addiction recovery. And many times I have had people in the midst of addiction or in need of help from a Christian perspective, and I have sent them to the foundry. And they've got multiple places, actually a place here, place up in North Alabama as well, uh, and have seen a lot of tremendous growth uh, and success through their program of helping people through uh, their struggle with addiction and getting into recovery. Addiction work is incredibly hard. And the men and women here at the foundry have been spending years and years and even decades tirelessly working with people through all of their ups and downs as they struggle uh, with addiction. It is a phenomenal organization and we're glad to partner with them. Uh, And they're just one of these groups that we've been talking about these last three weeks uh, that we are going to get to help uh, as we give over and above uh, kind of our tithe for the month. So here's the update on where we are this week. Uh, We are at 177,000 for the month. Now our budget is 250. So we got to get to 250 before we start giving money away. And so This is that last week. Now, listen, if you're one of those people who like listens to the telethon and you wanted to call at 855 so you could be the person to like get them over the edge and like you were the one who got them over and now we're helping out. This is that week. Okay, so there's no more waiting. This is the time to say, you know, I want to give to make sure that we can give to all these great organizations and more. I, I think we've got over 25 different folks who've applied. We'd love just to shower them uh, with, uh, with a lot of money and resources. And so let me just encourage you to give. Here's the challenge we've been doing all month, which is just let's all tithe for one month. Everybody, if you're an attender, jump in with us. You're not required, but if you'd like to jump in. But for all of our members, if you're not giving that full tithe every month, try it for this one month just to see how faithful God can be in your life, but also how 
over abundantly generous we get to be far beyond we're going to meet our needs and more and be able to shower that on a ton of other people so you can go ahead if you already have given today that's great you can give on your way out you can also give online uh, and whatever you give up through the 31st uh, or the 30th I forget what month we're in regardless at the end of the month we're going to be counting it all the way up until then before we get to October so if you haven't given today would like to do that later you absolutely can you got any questions let us know uh, and then next week we'll let you know about what we have given over top of that budgeted need. But I am excited to see what he does and what we get to do together. But now grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Genesis chapter one, verse one. Genesis chapter one, verse one, the first book in the Bible, first verse in the Bible should be fairly easy to find. Genesis one, one is where we will begin today as we're continuing our sermon series on worldview. We are discovering that you and I live in not just a physical world, but we live in a world system of values and ideas that sets itself against the Lord and his kingdom. This isn't any one individual or group. This is just kind of humanity. Uh, We have a world system of values and ideas that do not align with the Lord and his kingdom. And we need to be aware of that because if not, we will adopt those same values. We'll live by those same values. So instead, we want to have a Christian worldview. We want to see the world as God sees it. We want to see reality as God sees it. And this is incredibly important for us because whatever our worldview is, that is going to influence and determine how we act. Everything we do in the world, how we pursue priorities, how we spend our money, our time, our energy, our influence in this world, all of that is going to be determined by our worldview. How do we see the world? And we're going to be taking time to kind of put some planks down in this foundation, just kind of laying down a foundation we can stand on to see the world. Last week, if you were here, uh, we started by talking about the Bible. We gain our Christian worldview as God has revealed himself to us through his word. And we looked at a lot of different questions last week. We did not answer all of them by far, but hopefully we answered a few of those questions uh, so that you can say, no, I have confidence in God's word. Now, if you're still wrestling with that, that is okay. Questions are fine. Uh, You ought to bring all of your questions to the Lord. But if you find yourself in a place where you say, Adam, I just still don't know if I can fully trust the Bible, I hope that you'll not only continue wrestling with that, but also you'll bring that same amount of questioning to the things that you do listen to. If you're worried about the Bible and what it says, do you bring that same kind of scrutiny to the people that you listen to on cable news? Do you listen to bring that same scrutiny to your friends or quite frankly to yourself or to the people that you read or you see on TikTok or wherever it might be? Do you bring the same kind of scrutiny to say, is this a viable source? Does this source lead me to truth? Does this source lead me to life? We need to be asking those questions. Again, all questions are good. But once you do that, I hope that you will come to the place that we come to to say that the Bible is trustworthy. God speaks to us through his word. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at some big questions. Huge question, existential questions, questions that really define who we are. They are these, who am I, why am I here, and what's the meaning of life? Big questions. You ever thought about that? Who am I, why am I here, and what's the meaning of life? You have answers to these questions in your brain. Even if you can't give me a quick answer and say what it is, you have an answer. Who am I? Why am I here? And what's the meaning of my life? And those are huge 
questions because that is going to determine how you live your life in this world. As an answer to all three of those questions, I'd love to give us a belief statement for this morning. This is a belief statement straight out of what God says to us, what it teaches us. And that belief statement is this. God made man in God's image to be in relationship with him. This is what God teaches us. God made man in his image to be in relationship with him. That's the belief statement we're going to be looking at today. But let's make it a little more personal, all right? So you can kind of have this in your brain as we think about it. Let's look at this in a personal format. God made me in his image, to be in a relationship with him. If somebody asks you, what's the meaning of your life? Why are you here? You could simply say this. God made me in his image to be in relationship with him. That is the purpose of your life. It is why you are here. And so let's examine that today to see if that is actually true. Now, in order for this to be true, there's a big question we're already just assuming, and is this, does God exist? Because God can't make me to be in a relationship with him if God doesn't actually exist. And this is one of those values of the world. The world will tell you, the world system, world values, secular humanism, atheists will tell you, there is no God. Adam, you can believe in whatever you want. Everybody believes whatever they want, but there's nothing actually out there, all right? There's nothing there. If that makes you feel better, that's really good for you. You can believe that if you like, but there is no actual God in this world. There's no God who made everything. There's no God who is sovereign and supreme over everything. We are just here. That is this value of this world system that we were living in. But remember what we said week one, ideas have consequences, All ideas have consequences. And so let's play that out. Let's play out what happens if God doesn't exist. If the world is correct in saying that there is no God who made everything, what are the implications of that statement? Well, here's the first one. Your life is meaningless. If there is no God in the world, then your life is meaningless. Now, atheists typically roll their eyes when Christians say things like this, but it is an inescapable conclusion. Because if there is no one who created the world on purpose, then there is no actual meaning there. And so they find creative ways of kind of getting around this. Uh, I saw a video recently uh, of Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, who is an astrophysicist. You've probably seen him. He's very popular. Uh, he's out in popular culture and, and videos. He's super smart. He's done television shows and different things. He's kind of like a, a cultural apologist for science. Uh, and he put a video up on his website. I thought about showing it, but the audio is not all, all that great uh, in the original video. Uh, but he's at this uh, event, and there's all these people, and he's doing Q&A. And a six-year-old comes up to the mic, uh, and in his tiny six-year-old voice asks, uh, okay, smart science guy, what's the meaning of life? To which everybody laughs. He's been answering all these huge scientific questions. He's incredibly intelligent. Uh, and, and all of these things that most of us don't understand, and he gets asked this question, so what's the meaning of life. And he's like, okay, how's he going to handle this? And so this is his statement. It's a long one, but I think it's important for us to read. Here's what Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophysicist, would say. He says, I think people ask that question on the assumption that meaning is something that you can look for, and then I found it. Here's the meaning. I've been looking for it. And it doesn't consider the possibility that meaning in life is something you create. You manufacture for yourself and for others. And so when I think of meaning in life, I ask, have I learned something today that I didn't know yesterday? 
bringing me a little closer to knowing all that can be known in the universe, just a little closer, however far away all the knowledge sits. I'm a little closer. If I live a day and I don't know a little more that day than the day before, I think I wasted that day. To learn is to become closer to nature. And to learn how things work gives you power to influence events, gives you power to help people who may need it, power to help yourselves to shape a trajectory. So when I think of what is the meaning of life, to me, that's not an eternal, unanswerable question. To me, that's an arm's reach of me every day. It's kind of deep, isn't it? It's kind of profound. Look, the audience ate this up. They loved it. And and honestly, he is an incredibly winsome guy. He was great with the six-year-old. Like he gets down on the ground and kind of works with him and rolls around uh, with him. It was, it was super charming. Uh, people watching this clip actually made a, a video out of it. I watched a different video that was much like the one that you and I saw where they put beautiful kind of sounds and, and music behind it and, and, and all these beautiful pictures. And they put this quote behind it as if this was an inspiration in your life. And even reading it, you go, wow, there's a, there's a lot of great things in there, but you need to really think about what was just said. Because what he just said is terrifying. What he just said was this, your life is meaningless. No, no, that's not what he said. He said all kinds of great things about helping people and finding stuff out, learning things. No, when asked the question, what's the meaning of life? Here was his answer. You make it up. There isn't one. So just create one. Just pretend, invent, make up a meaning and then run after that. But you see, that dodges the question Because it doesn't matter whether he does that or not. Whether he does or doesn't, it does not matter. Whether he learns or doesn't learn, it does not matter. At one point he says, I want to get closer to nature. Do you know who doesn't care whether he gets closer to nature or not? Nature does not care. Because nature doesn't care about anything. Because nature does not care. It's not a being. And so whether he learns this or not, it does not matter. That may be his preference. And he might end up doing some of these things, but that's just because he decided he wanted to do it. That's not because there's any actual meaning there. What he just said was that there's no meaning in life, so find something to do. In the brief time that you're here, but you weren't here, you're here, you won't be here, and it does not matter. Your life is utterly and completely meaningless. See, other atheists will be a little bit more forthright. Uh, Richard Dawkins uh, is a prominent evolutionary biologist. He's also a group of people that they would call the new atheists. He's written a a bunch of books against uh, theism or the belief in God. One of them is called God Delusion, which kind of gives you an idea of where he lands. Uh, And here's what he said. He was a little bit more honest about things. He says, the universe has precisely the properties we would expect, expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Which, praise God, that he was honest. Like, like, he's worked it out. He says, here's my belief, and then here's where that goes. Because ideas have consequences. If there is no God, and the universe is simply here, and we're all just random, and this is all just kind of stuff that ha- happened by accident, then the world is, there is no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Your life is meaningless. So, I don't know, fill it up. But that's the consequence of what happens. There are more consequences. Here's the second one. You are no better than an animal. You and I are no better than an animal. 
There is absolutely no qualitative difference between any animal or creature on the planet and you and me. You are not special. Your baby is not important. Your kids are not important. No person is important. I'm not important. You're important. Because nobody's important. We're just animals. Peter Singer is a famous uh, philosopher over at Yale University. He's been saying this for years, uh, where he said, there's no difference between a human and a, and a chimpanzee. There isn't. And so uh, there's no reason why we should have animals in zoos, except we're just stronger and smarter, I guess. Uh, but the, they have just as much value as a human being does, or conversely, we have just as little value as they do. We are no better than an animal. Now, some people will say, Adam, this is true. That's right. I got my lizard brain going on. Uh, and guess what? I, I have needs. And some people will say, Adam, we're just animals. This is, you, can, you can kind of justify sexual promiscuity this way. Like, hey, we're just animals. We got needs and things like that. But they don't follow it even farther out, which means you have no value and your life is meaningless. They just don't go far enough with their thought. Here's the third thing. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as right and wrong. We well, said, Adam, of course there's no, there's not. If there's no right and wrong, you say, well, Adam, this is good and that is bad. Who determines what is good? There are only preferences. There are things that are good for me because I, it benefits me, but that doesn't mean it is good over everybody. It just happens to be what I prefer. Evil is not evil in itself. It's just something I don't like. And what happens when what I say is good, somebody else calls evil and vice versa. How do you make a difference between the two of them? You cannot. Because there is no such thing as good or evil. There are only things that I like or things that I don't like. But we cannot call anything truly, intrinsically good or evil. Here's the fourth one. There are no such thing as human rights. We talk a lot about human rights today. If you talk about this, we talk about rights a lot. I feel like there's a new right every other day. Have you noticed this? It's my right. We have rights for everything. Here's the deal. If you do not believe in there, that there's a God, there are no such thing as human rights. Because humans don't deserve rights. You're just a random animal on the planet. That's it. You don't deserve anything. And there's no reason why you would deserve certain inalienable rights if you are not created. Do you know what we deserve? If there is no God and everything is just here by chance, the natural selection is the only law that matters. And the only law that works is survival of the fittest. Do you know what you deserve? You deserve to be conquered by the stronger. Because that's the law of nature. The law of nature is that the stronger are going to muscle out the weaker because they're, per, per, they're fighting for scarce resources and you want to make your species propagate. And so what we should expect is that the strongest cultures on the planet should dominate the weaker. That's what should be normal if there is no God. The idea that you and I have human rights doesn't come from nature and it doesn't come from evolution and it certainly doesn't come from atheism. The only reason you and I think about human rights is because God told us we all have innate meaning. It's actually a Christian idea. You take God away, there's no basis for human rights. You say, well, Adam, our culture says that, that these things are right. So maybe just in our culture, we can have human rights. You can. But what happens when another society or another culture, which happens to be stronger than you, decides not to believe in you and says they want to wipe you out? They get to do that. Do you know why? Because there's nothing stopping them. There's no such thing as human rights. Do you see all this? Now, here's the question. Do you believe that? No, of course you don't. In fact, no one believes that. We might say we believe it, but very few people actually live in such a way where they think that those things are actually the case. 
In fact, we betray this all the time. Even lost people, even folks who don't believe in God, talk in ways that show that they actually secretly do believe in God. This is why people keep talking about the universe. Have you found this odd recently? That people keep talking about what the universe does? Man, the universe really brought us together. There you go. <laughs> Breck and I were talking about this yesterday. <laughs> he knew that was coming. Uh, Man, man, the universe is going to get you back for that. Oh, man, the universe, man, it's getting me for this thing that I did. The universe. Do you know what the universe does? Nothing. Because the universe does not care. Because the universe is not a being. It's just creation. It does nothing. Do you know why people say the universe? Because they don't want to say God. Because what they really mean is, is God's doing that. But I can't say God, because then I'll have to admit that there's a God. And I don't want to admit to it there's a God. I'll just say universe. That'll work. Let's move on. But what they're betraying is that they believe there is meaning, there is purpose out in the world. People say this, I'm called to do this. Really? Called by who? Who called you? Beyond you. And if you called you, what does that mean other than I like it? That doesn't mean anything. But that's not what you meant. You meant something deeper by this. Or man, I was made for this. We were made to be together. Really? Who made you? And who made that? See, we say these things and they betray what we really believe. And when you and I look at life, we know intuitively that there's a meaning. We know that there is value in life. We know that we aren't just animals, that there are human rights, that there is good and evil, and that our lives do have meaning. We know this deep in our core. We know this. We ought to know it simply by the fact that we're having this conversation. Do you realize that if there were no meaning in life, we wouldn't be looking for it? C.S. Lewis talked about this one point. He said, the only reason you and I have desires is because there's something to satisfy that desire. The only reason you and I get hungry is because there's such a thing as food. The only reason we're thirsty is because there's such a thing as drink. Wouldn't it be weird if you and I got hungry, but that we never ate anything? What's wrong with you? I'm hungry. For what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling right now. It's weird. Because I've never eaten before. Well, no, the reason you get hungry is because there's something to satisfy that. The reason we get thirsty is because there's something to satisfy that. Because the reason we get sleepy is because we're made to sleep in life. And the reason that all of us deep down crave meaning is because there's a meaning to be found. And if there's a meaning to be found, that means that we are not just in a random universe. It doesn't work that way. So work out the implications if you and I are actually just here randomly. It doesn't actually work and we would never want to live in such a place. And so let's go back to that belief statement. God made man in his image to be in relationship with him. So now let's reverse it. Let's look at the implications of that action and see where it comes from. This is why we're in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. So hopefully you're still there in your scriptures. First page of the Bible. And look what it says here, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's an easy verse. One of those verses I hope you've already memorized. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made everything. It's not random. It didn't just show up one day. God created everything. He made it by speaking the world into existence. And if that is the case, then that changes everything. Now, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you get two perspectives on the same event. You get different information from each chapter, but they're both looking at creation from slightly different angles. 
And and the the recap is this, God over seven days is going to make everything. He methodically starts from nothing and then he creates everything. And he goes by by pieces. He creates land, he creates the water, he creates the sky, and then he's going to create plants and then animals. And then he finally builds up on day six of making you and I. He makes mankind and then on day seven, he rests. And so what we see, what the Bible tells us is that God made everything. Now, a quick sidebar to answer the question that all of you are wondering. You're saying, okay, Adam, but was it seven literal days? Because this is all kind of an argument in Christian circles. They're just like, okay, Adam, but how old is the earth and how did all of that happen? Because there are people who are going to read this and say, Adam, what the Bible says is that the Bible or the Lord created the universe in seven literal 24-hour periods. So it was just literally seven days. There are others going to say, no, 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 Adam, the earth is billions of years old and, and God's been moving and working through all of these different things, but this is more poetic language, uh, but it's billions of years old. And so you ask, well, which is it? Was it seven days or was it billions of years old or was it somewhere in the middle? And here's the deal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. And we can disagree on that. You are not required as a Christian to believe that God created the world in seven literal days. You are also not required to believe that it is billion years of years old. How do we know this? Because these two accounts don't tell us everything about creation. When you read these accounts, it is clear, abundantly clear that there is more going on than what's being spoken of here. How is it that you have day and night and you have the first day when there's no sun and moon? Sun and moon don't show up till day four. Then how do you have a day and a night? People who read this for the first time understood that, that there's more going on here. Remember what we said last week, the Bible is not Wikipedia. This is not a book on cosmology. This is not a book on planet creation. He's simply telling us that God created it. So look, you and I can disagree on how it got made, but here's the one thing you and I cannot disagree on. The one thing that we must agree on, God made everything. That's non-negotiable. This is what the Bible teaches us. You can put both feet on it. You can be rock solid. You don't have to understand the, the why or the how of it rather, but you must believe God created everything. He made it. And so let's dig down a little bit into that. Go down to the end of chapter one. Let's look at verses 26 and 28. I'll look at these on the screen as well. On day six, God gets to us. Look what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, look, I can't give you a full breakdown of these two chapters. but Let me give you a couple things that you can know about creation from these two chapters. Number one, it is ordered. It is not random. Creation is ordered. It is not random. When you were looking at these days, God is moving methodically. He is building methodically. He didn't just start it up to see what would happen. He says, no, I am creating methodically. The universe has an order. Even if we don't fully understand it, even if we can't fully comprehend it, there is an order to creation. It is not random. It is not blind chance. Here's the second thing you know. The goal of creation is us. 
The pinnacle of creation is not a nebula, it's us. God's going to make us in his image. I'll talk about that in just a second, but the goal, the the pinnacle of all of this creating is you and I. Here's the third thing. Creation is good. At the end of every day, he declares it good. He doesn't say, "Mm, that one was okay. I'm going to try next time. Mm, Maybe a little bit better on this one. He says, no, all of creation is good. I made creation to be good. Furthermore, we are gendered. When God makes us, he makes us male and female. Did you notice that? There are people today who say that the idea of gender showed up about 150 years ago. Ugh. Ugh. I don't have time for it today. But this is thousands of years old. We didn't just invent it. Okay, look, this is patently just, I don't want to talk about it. All right, so we are male. We are female. God made us equal, as, but different. Men and women are made equal in value, yet different in makeup. We'll get into more of that later in this series, but this is how God made us. But then here's the most important thing. We are made in his image. Did you catch that? He says, let us make man in our image. He doesn't do this with anything else in all of creation. He says, no, let us make man in our image and likeness. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be made in the image and the likeness of God? What is this thing that makes us different from everything else in all of creation? Strangely, the Bible doesn't actually give us a strict definition. It refers to it multiple times. It says, listen, you cannot murder people because they are made in the image and the likeness of God. You cannot curse people because they're made in the image of likeness of God. And so what is this image and likeness? And there's a few things that probably we can say with divinity about this. The first off, it denotes personhood. Personhood, we are self-aware in ways that animals are not. Even though they have varying levels of intelligence, they are not contemplating the meaning of life like you and I do. God, God forms us specifically, then he breathes his, his nephesh, his life. There's a soul in us. We became a living soul, right? So we are different from the other parts of creation. We have this personhood. Here's the second thing. We have dominion. Did you see that word? He mentions it twice in the Genesis passage. We are to have dominion over the planet. We are not simply here like every other animal. He says, no, we have authority. Now, that does not mean that God gives us the planet just so we can strip mine it so we can enjoy whatever we want to enjoy. The idea of having dominion is that we are to to rule, to develop this, to tend this world like we would a, a garden where we take away the weeds and we cultivate new flowers and we make things beautiful. We take its potential and we, we actualize it. The words image and likeness even have a royal connotation. And so just like a, uh, like a king or a queen, we are to, to rule over the planet for its good. We are to have dominion over all of the other animals on the planet. Not other people, but all the other animals, the plants on the planet. God is inviting us into his work. So we have personhood, we have dominion. And then thirdly, we have moral responsibility. We have moral responsibility. No other creature on the planet has moral responsibility. If rocks fall off of a mountain and they end up killing somebody, we don't blame the rocks because the rocks didn't do anything. They didn't make a choice. It has no moral culpability. Animals also don't have any moral culpability. If a lion sadly somehow ends up killing a person, we don't blame the lion, do we? You don't go, bad lion, right? It's not a bad lion. It's just a lion. Do you know what lions do? They kill things and eat them. 
That's their instinct. This is their desire. They're not good nor bad. They are just lions, but they don't have moral responsibility. But if a human kills someone in cold blood, you have moral responsibility. That, that is different from everyone else in all of creation. And so you and I are marked out. We are made in the very image of God. But this still begs the question of why? All right, so God made man. Great, but why did he make man? God made man in his image to be in relationship with him. The purpose of our life is to live in relationship with the God who made us. You can see this all throughout the biblical story. It starts with Adam and Eve when he makes them in the garden. He doesn't just set them to work. He walks with them in the cool of the day. He talks with them. He involves them in his work. He shares himself with them. He has a relationship with them. And even after, because of their sin, they get ejected from the garden. God continues to talk to them. He continues to provide for them. He continues to pursue them. And as mankind gets progressively worse, he continues to push forward. He will find Abraham, who's just a pagan living in a pagan land and raises them up to be the nation of Israel. And when they get themselves in trouble, he rescues them. And then he's going to take them all by himself to make a covenant with them. They say, I'm going to dwell among you and be your people. And when they routinely break that covenant and relationship, God doesn't abandon them. He continues to pursue them century by century until he finally sends his son to us. He will send his very son to pave a way back, to pay for our sins. Why? Just so we can work again? He doesn't need anything. No, he paves the ways so that we can have a relationship with a God who made us. God made us on purpose. And then once Jesus saves us, he takes his Holy Spirit and puts him inside of us that you and I might live in him forever. God made man in his image that you and I might be in relationship with him. Look at how Jesus talks about this. This is John 14, verse 23. It says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. Look at the relational language. He doesn't simply say, obey me. He says, if you obey me, guess what? I love you. My father loves you. And the goal is that we would make our home with you. These are words of relationship. Uh, Look at the next one. A little bit later down in the text, John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The purpose of our life is that we might know him. That's not head knowledge. That is experiential knowledge. Eternal life is simply this, that we would know the God who made us, that we would live in relationship with him. You say, Adam, so is that all my life's about? I'm supposed to sit and pray for the rest of my life? No, there's more. Look what he says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul speaking. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We were created for good works. We are his workmanship. That word in the Greek is poema. It's where we get poem. We are literally his artistry. He creates us uniquely. He folds and and, and fashions us uniquely with different gifts and abilities and opportunities to say, I want you to do these things. But the goal is not simply to accomplish things. The goal is not simply to do things. The goal is that you would live in relationship with me. This is why I made you. I have made you to join me in my work. 
to join me as in what I am doing. God made man in his image that you and I might have a relationship with him. Why are you here? Who are you? What's the meaning of your life? God made you on purpose. And if God makes you on purpose, that changes everything. So let's look through the implications. Remember, if somebody says there is no God, well, ideas have consequences. We've got to work that out. So let's work it out the opposite way. If God made man in his image to be in a relationship with himself, what are the implications of that? They are these. The first one is this. You matter. You matter. I can't tell you the number of people I talk to on a monthly, weekly, annual basis who are struggling with depression and wrestling with thoughts of suicide. There's more people in here than you would possibly believe who've wrestled with thoughts of suicide in their life. And some of you might have even done that this week. There are thoughts in your head that tell you that you don't matter, that nobody cares about you, that nobody would care if you weren't here, that nothing you do means anything, that no one cares about you. And here's the deal. If God made you on purpose, then it does not matter what anybody in this world says. The almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe cares about you. He made you on purpose. He knows your name. And because you are made in his image, he says this, you matter to me. You matter in this world. You matter in this life. Don't let the world tell you. Don't even let yourself tell you who you are or what you do. Don't invent some idea for yourself. God is telling you, declaring over you, I know your name and you matter to me. For any of us wrestling with depression or anxiety or or, or these these thoughts of hopelessness or, or worthlessness, what the Bible is telling us is that you actually have purpose in life, even if you haven't fully discovered it. Yet God says, I made you to be in a relationship with me. You matter. Here's the second thing. All people matter. It's not just you. It's every single human being, not just the people who are like us, not just the people who are in our tribe, not just the people who would agree with us. Every single human being, even the ones who disagree with us, even the ones who would oppose us, every single one of them matters because they are made in the very image and likeness of God. Every single one of them is worthy of dignity and respect. This is why we help the poor. This is why we don't kill the unborn is because every single human being has value, has life because God made us in his image. We aren't just clumps of cells. We aren't just random animals. Every single one of us is made in the image and likeness of God and therefore have value in his sight and we should value and love them as well. So you matter. We all matter. Here's the third thing we need to understand. It's not about me. Your life is not about you. I think we just went, oh, man, well, that's not nearly as fun. Man, you had me going. That was all encouraging and stuff. I was feeling better about myself. I thought it was going to be great. Now it's not about me. Why is it not about me? Because the world doesn't revolve around you. The world doesn't revolve around anybody. Think about the statement we've been saying all morning. God made man in his image So that you and I might have a relationship with him. God shows up three times. We show up once. That's kind of how it should be. Because the world is not about me. It is about him. If you want to find your purpose in life, you cannot find it in yourself. You have to find it in him. You see, if you and I are created, then we are created for a purpose. 
And you and I don't get to invent that purpose. If we're made for a purpose, then the way that I find life and joy and fulfillment is by living in that purpose. But when you and I live against that purpose or we try to invent a different purpose, it is naturally going to break down and not work for us. Imagine this scenario. I want you to imagine a car that somehow has sentience. Okay, I, I guess it's a Tesla. All right, so uh, imagine a car uh, that, that can think, and it decides it doesn't want to be a car. It wants to be a submarine. How do you think this is going to work? It's a car. But it decides, I don't want to be a car. I want to be a submarine. And so instead of driving on roads, it keeps wanting to drive off into lakes. People keep going, no, 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 man, you're a car. Don't do that. No, no, I want to be a submarine. I'm going to go be a submarine. So you cut off all the tires. All right, put a couple of fins back there. You know, I mean, I'll just, like, I, want to, I want to dive in the water. I mean, I don't even try it. It's going to be a terrible submarine. Why? Because that's not what it's made to be. It's not fulfilling. It's designed and created purpose. It's trying to do something different. It, 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 it's not going to work. You're going to be frustrated at every point. Imagine an airplane that could think for itself that decided it wanted to be a sweater. Imagine that. It's an airplane and it wants to be a sweater. I love people. I just want to wrap them up. I just want to wrap up people. I'm, I want to be a sweater. I'm tired of being an airplane. I want to be a sweater. Imagine that for a second. Imagine an airplane that was chasing you down just to kind of wrap you up in its wings. That's terrifying, right? This is a terrifying thing. You're going to have nightmares tonight about some big plane jumping at you with all of its wings trying to wrap you up. It's made of metal. This will be terrifying. But I just love people. Okay, well, you're not a sweater. You're a plane, Okay. And here's the thing, while you're trying to be a sweater, that's never going to work because you're not made of cloth, you're made of metal. Here's what also you're not doing. You're missing out on the glory of flight. You can do what no, nobody else can do. You get to fly. You know how many people want to fly? You get to fly and you're ignoring what you're made to do because you're trying to do this other thing over here. Do you not see you're missing your created purpose? It is fashionable in our age today to say that you just invent your own purpose. You invent your own meaning. You can be whatever you want to be. Just invent it. Create it. This is how you get gender fluidity. This is how you get political identity, as if your identity comes from your politics. You're getting your identity that, that comes from your grouping or your race or your gender or anything else, as if these things are the only things that define us, as if these things are the core of who we are. God says, no, I made you. You're more than that. Those are attributes. I'm talking to you about your core identity, and you are made to be in relationship with me. And if you miss that, you miss everything. And please don't just look at everybody else because we can do this too. When you, you have the idea, Adam, the whole purpose of my life is just to have more money. You have missed your purpose in life. The whole purpose in life, Adam, is for me to be able to experience and enjoy all the things in this world. So I just need more, more, more. Okay, more stuff, more food, more houses, more things. I just got to have more, more, more. If I can have more, then I will be happy. You have missed the purpose of your life because identity is not something you invent. It's something you find in the one who created you. If you have a created purpose, then you will find joy and contentment when you live in relationship with the one who made you for relationship. So what would it look like if you and I actually lived in that relationship? That's when you and I find life. It's interesting. If you think back to that um, Neil deGrasse Tyson quote I showed at the beginning, I've, I've looked at this a bunch this week. I had to transcribe it and everything. Uh, I've looked at it in multiple formats. And he honestly says some really interesting things. He says things like, man, I just want to learn more every day. He says, I want, I want to gain power so that I can help people. 
I want to know more things and discover things so that I can solve problems that people have and make things better for people. I want to know more that's out there in the universe. All those things are laudable goals. And I have no reason to doubt his sincerity. He's an incredibly intelligent guy. But the more I thought about it, you know what I began to realize? All of those desires don't come from a random being. They all come from a God who made you to have dominion over the world. God made those desires. The desire to understand, the desire to solve problems, the desire to to use those things to cultivate and tend the world, to help the people who are in the world. These things don't come by random chance. They come from a God who made you in his image on purpose and gave us dominion that you and I might have relationship with him. All of these things that define his life really don't come from a random universe. They come from a God who's drawing him to himself. And my prayer is that God would use those desires to draw Neil deGrasse Tyson and so many like him to himself. And I pray that he would use those same desires that are innately in us to draw each one of us to a place where we are not looking within to find our identity. We look to the one who made us and say, God, why did you made me? If you made me for a relationship, then I choose to chase after you as the number one priority of my life. Because when I live in my created purpose, I have found the meaning of life. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just ask that. What's the meaning of your life? You don't have to tell anybody, but, but there's an answer to that question. It's living in your soul. Ask it of yourself and have the courage to look at the answer. Because you might find that your answer isn't to be in relationship with a God who made you. It's to get this promotion or to impress these people or to accomplish this task or to do this thing. And they might all be good things. Might be good people. Might be good ideas. But none of those things are the purpose of your life. They're part of your greater purpose, which is this, that you might know the God who made you. Some of you here today, you know the Lord, but you're, you're being drawn away by the world and all of its desires to, to not really live in that purpose. What if today we began just to seek after him with our whole heart? And then some of us here today, let's be honest, you don't have a relationship with God. You might know about him. You might even like him, but you've never come to a place of full surrender. You've never come to a place where you know him. What if today, You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the very first time and say, Jesus, you've been chasing me my whole life and I need you. You made me, you love me, you forgave me and I will never find life in myself. God, help me to find my life in you. Tell him that right now and discover why you're here. So Father, help us. You are patient in ways I honestly cannot understand. You put up with so much. You chase us for for longer than I I would expect. You use different ways to speak to us and reach out to us. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room that we wouldn't just live chasing after temporary things or perishable things, but instead we would simply enjoy them 
as we understand our true purpose is simply to be in relationship with you. Whether things are good or bad, whether we have things or not, whether it's comfortable or not, Lord, I can have life in you. And so, Father, we give you praise for being the creator. We give you praise for being sovereign. We give you praise for being good. We give you praise for being a father and for giving us meaning. And so thank you, Father. We love you. In your name we pray.